Welcome to Utopia Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined as usual by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad. Busy old weekend, wasn't it? Busy old weekend. It certainly was. Did you enjoy your trip to Wembley? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, Wembley Stadium's magnificent. Wembley Way is lovely. The station's lovely. Wembley itself. <laughs> Let's not discuss that. <laughs> no, probably not. Not the tone. Our listeners will want us to get off on, unfortunately, because Huddersfield Town fell short in the playoff final. They lost 1-0 to Nottingham Forest with a, a Levi Colwell own goal. Obviously, no blame being attached to Levi Colwell for that. Just one of those things. But um, it was a, it was not the best game, Dave. I don't think either team particularly put their best foot forward in this game. Yeah, I think it was... The, my overall feeling from it was that Town didn't particularly turn up, and that's a real shame because I don't think Forrest turned up either. Um, I watched it back yesterday, actually, um, and I have to say, in ground, we didn't think it was the best game, but I quite enjoyed it. They're enjoyable moments. Watching it back on TV, um, yeah, it was to say it wasn't the, the best game is being quite kind, to be honest. Um, and I just... It's a shame because it feels like a missed opportunity, but sometimes it is what it is. It is what it is, and it's it's disappointing for everyone involved, etc. But I we will get into the specifics. One thing that did strike me more watching it on TV than in ground, town looked quite tired, and I don't mean tired as in you know they've they've just played a couple of games and all that just sort of mentally and physically you could see how much the season has taken out of them because it's been a monumental effort to get to the final game of the championship season and I think it was the first game that I watched and I I thought it told a little bit they they really did look uh sort of mentally tired but magnificent effort to get there wasn't it yeah it really was and we shouldn't lose sight of that of course and looking at the reaction on Twitter I think everyone is very proud of Huddersfield Town for for getting this far and I think obviously the circumstances around those refereeing decisions late on which we'll we'll talk about um, probably have sent well I say probably have created a massive sense of of injustice we will talk about those as I say but I think you're right I think it is a bit of a missed opportunity I think neither team would particularly at their best and our feeling coming into the game was if Forest are at their best Forest probably would win it and that if they weren't it was there for town to win and unfortunately you know we for all that you had the refereeing decisions for all you had two penalty shouts good penalty shouts turned down and not given on VAR town went through the game without a shot on target and just the three shots that were all off target they only had one man in the box at pretty much any time and I think that sort of leads us onto the starting lineup. It was apparent from dropping John Russell to get Naby Sarin that they were looking to contain Forrest. They were looking to keep things nice and tight. I think they were quite wary of the threat that, that Forrest would pose. And Carlos Gorbrand essentially told us at the, the post-match press conference that the idea was to try and keep things tight for the first 45 minutes and then then go for it in the second half. The timing of the goal obviously robbed them of that opportunity. I mean, what what did you make of that lineup first of all, Dave? 
Um, I got it because we know where Forrest's strengths are, which is out wide each side and then in that 10 space. So what the team was designed to do is it had two left footers to double up on the left side, two right footers to double up on the right side. And then as those players were drawn to either side, Hogg could drop in and just create a two in the middle. So the theory of it, I think, was completely sound. Um, we, <laughs> When we were doing the predicted lineups, we all put John Russell in. But to be fair, we'd had a conversation about the team we would pick as opposed to the team we thought Carlos Corbran would pick. Um, and we both didn't have John Russell in. Whereas... It was it was genuinely a shock, I think, that one, because we just assumed he would be there for various reasons. So, yeah, I, 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 Naby had a, a weird 10 to 15 minutes to start and then did okay, actually. Did, did pretty well before he was subbed off, so you can't really knock that. But, I don't know, it left town feeling quite flat, I thought, in midfield. Um, and with the, I know it was a containing brief, but... There were opportunities to get out, and uh, yeah, it was. It it just the problem with that formation is, like, as you pointed out, it just left you a bit limited up top. I mean, partic- even second half when they shuffled things around a bit, me and you were both frustrated when there were players in very good crossing positions, and there was one player in the box to aim for. Um, and if you've got three defenders and one striker, you have to be so accurate with your cross. It's it's nigh on, you know, it's a one in ten job, isn't it, basically. So, yeah, I completely see the the methodology behind it. I'm not sure it's the team I would have gone for, but I, I completely get it. What was your take? Yeah, I think I can understand it, obviously, based on what happened in the two semi-finals, because Luton were on top of town for 45 minutes in the first leg and 60 minutes in the second leg. I think Carlos acknowledged that the, the, maybe the occasion had got to the players, the emotion had got to the players, and John Russell in particular had struggled in those those periods, the, the first halves of each game. So I can understand why he would want to sort of try and mitigate against that and try and try and make it so that that didn't happen again. Because I think you and I both said last last week when we did this podcast or two weeks ago when we were reviewing the Luton games that against a better team. Town would have would have conceded and would have lost those semi-finals, and it was mostly because Luton was so sloppy in front of goal that that Town got away with it. So I can completely understand why why Carlos took the approach he did for this game, trying to avoid a repeat of that. The thing I didn't really like was Silver Thomas on the left, mm. which I, I think he was there to to get at specific targets on on the forest right and give Jed Spence something to think about because we know how what dangerous player Jed Spence can be but it just meant that whenever town did get forward on the counter attack you had Silver Thomas having to either cross on his left foot and he put a couple of balls in where normally you would expect a decent ball at Silver Thomas and neither of them were particularly good and then he started trying to get onto his right foot, which then meant it's the classic Ashley Young problem where he then had to start cutting back onto his right foot. And then that meant that extra half a second to a second of having to try and come back onto his right foot just gave Forrest more time to, to recover. So I didn't particularly like that. And and I thought I would have had Holmes rather than Sinani, which particularly playing on that right wing role i think he he you know if the, if the idea was containment and playing try to play on the counter and you want him on the right wing then surely Dwayne Holmes is better at 
at all those things than Danel Sonani. Danel Sonani has a, has a part to play, but I think you want Sonani in a game where you're looking to have control of the game and you know that you're going to be in the final third a lot and you're looking to, to create chances and you need those balls in. So I, I didn't particularly understand that in hindsight. I think that's the one bit of the selection that I I would be tempted to criticise in truth. But other than that, I, I can understand the approach. And, and unfortunately, well, the other thing with Holmes is that... <laughs> When it became apparent that Forrest weren't playing at the best, if he'd had Holmes on the pitch, he would have had a lot more ability to, to switch things around, I think, because he's played on the left a lot more. He's played, he's much better in central midfield than Sonani. But it was what it was, and I think if you'd got to half-time at nil-nil, you could have then said, right, we can be a bit more adventurous now. Forrest haven't particularly turned up. We, we know we can come out a bit more. But unfortunately, the timing of the goal robbed them of that. I mean, Forrest didn't particularly threaten Lee Nichols throughout the 90 minutes other than on that goal. It was just an unfortunate one, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I, I think the thing about the goal is it was basically the first time Forrest had swung a decent ball into the box. And it I, it was a cross. I saw somebody say it was a shot. It definitely wasn't a shot. He was, he was just trying to get it into an area. And Levi has to come across. Yates is... is weirdly I think it's one of them if Yates gets a touch I don't think he can actually steer it towards goal barring an absolutely brilliant finish that I don't think he's got in him but Levi has to come round on the cover and he has to come round on the block and there's just nothing he can do Lee Nichols completely stranded you know it's it's a very unfortunate goal to concede and it it was frustrating because there were a couple of moments first half that you forget about. There was a very well-worked corner um, where Ward's shot, shot was blocked and there was a couple of very promising positions. There was an awful lot of crosses sort of across goal with nobody there. Um, and it was the goal, I wouldn't say Forrest deserved to be ahead, if I was brutally honest. And people love it when I say brutally honest. Um, but... It was sort of there was a slight feeling that town were just going to open up at some point and something was going to happen. It was the timing more than anything was the real kick in the kick in the you know what's. It was sort of what was it four minutes before half time and the town's whole strategy had been just get to half time and then we can change things up and it just it took the wind out of everyone's sails, didn't it? That was the issue. It did, and I think. Although we can probably put their lack of chances in the first half down to the selection and the strategy because it was kind of an intentional thing. I think second half, particularly at 1-0 down, they needed to have more players in the box. They needed to have yeah. people looking to get on the end of crosses. And you and I were you know, watching the game from the, from the press box and going, why, why is only Danny Ward there? Or why is only Jordan Rhodes mm. there? And... There, was, you know, there was one moment in particular, wasn't there, where I think it was Dwayne Holmes got in a really brilliant... No, it was Harry Toffolo, got in a really brilliant position to cross. Acres of space to pick someone out. And there was four, I think, four Forest defenders in the box and Jordan Rhodes at the back post. And you're like, you're 1-0 down in a playoff final. And again, I don't know, Steve, if that's a bit of mental tiredness, if that's just mm. the, the toil of the season coming out to be honest with you um and it was it and was the scale frust- of the occasion perhaps as well yeah and it was that was the frustration for both of us really because i don't i don't think in those situations like huddersfield town's whole philosophy this season has been to sort of try and create two or three really big chances rather than trying to create loads of chances but 
it felt like they couldn't really do either on Sunday, which was quite uncharacteristic, really. Yeah, they they weren't particularly high in the press either in that first half. You know, you, you mentioned to me midway through the first half, look, Wardy's just not pressing like he normally I, I, does. I'm I'm not sure Wardy was 100% fit. And I that's will, what I'll I was about say to that. say. Yeah, I, yeah. I, to see him not pressing the back three, and it was a, it was a definite instruction, and just just his all round play. It just wasn't the Danny Ward we we know really um, doing the things that have been successful all season. So we know he was carrying a little bit of an injury. There was a moment first half I clocked and said to you where he was just feeling feeling the top of his leg, and he he had a chat with the bench basically but I just I'm just not sure he was 100% really which is a pity I mean Jordan Rhodes had been in good form there's maybe an argument that if if Wood wasn't 100% fit then then perhaps Rhodes should have got the nod but Again, it's it's easy to say with hindsight. I think over the season you would say Ward has been obviously one of the oh, most deserved, important players. So. Yeah, deserved to start in the final, didn't he? Yeah, ultimately. Absolutely. But I think, as I say, first half, I think you can you can maybe say the lack of chances is down to Carlos's selection and his tactics. The second half, though, you know, you could see from the touchline he was trying to drive him forward, try to push him on, and that, that's the frustration for me. Is I think. You know, they'd talked, the players had talked in the build up to the game about we're not worried, you know, we don't want to worry about Forrest. We want to be concerned with ourselves. You know, we don't want to be, you know, everyone's talking about Forrest, but no one's talking about us. We want to make it about us. And I don't think they did on the no. day. And I think, I think second half, they had the chance to do that. I don't think anyone could have really complained or, you know, thought that they'd done the wrong thing if they had gone for it a little bit more. And ended up losing 2-0 off a counter, rather than what we had, which is losing 1-0 and then wondering, could we have done more? And and I think that's a pity, because that isn't the Huddersfield town we've we've seen this season, really. No, better to die a line than a lamb, isn't it, really, in a, in a cup final, but... Again, I I know I'm labouring the point, but again, I do, having, having watched it on TV as well, I do wonder if it was just genuinely... One game just too far. Yeah, just exhaustion. They haven't played particularly well in the playoffs. They've had a couple of spells um, where they've looked good and they've done they've done okay and they did enough against Luton to get through. But I would argue across the three games they've not done a lot of the things that we know they're really good at and has got them to this point in the first place. So you have to sort of question why is that and you think, well, yeah, maybe it was just a little bit too far for this, for this squad because... They were getting into certain situations on on Sunday where they're quite predictable in what they do. You know, they follow certain patterns, don't they? Me and you have talked mm-hmm. about how how Corbin likes repetition and he believes in control and he's it's about trying to carve out those big chances rather than lots of chances. But on Sunday, it didn't feel like they could do that and it didn't feel like they could really put the pressure on. They just got caught somewhere somewhere in between and. Yeah, it, it's. I I feel like we're, I feel like we're dancing around a few things, but I think we've sort of come to that point where we have to talk about the penalties really because there's not an awful yeah, lot left to talk about in the game, is there? No, there's not one of those games. Yeah, I mean, y- you and I differ slightly on the first one. I mm. I thought it was a penalty. I mean, I I know what you're going to say, but there's contact on him, and whether he's trying to withdraw his foot, the Forest player or not. He does catch him. I think I I don't understand how John Ross has booked him for diving. 
and I think that's that's just adds salt to the wound. Imagine if if Harry Toffler had already been on a booking and he'd done that. And but you know, it, to me, there was there was clearly contact, particularly from one angle that they showed, sort of the the angle almost from the, from the bench. Maybe what doesn't do Toffler any favors is something that happened in the, the 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 two other penalty shouts he had in the playoffs, which is the way that he goes down. He does go over and clap his feet together <laughs> as he goes over and you know I'm not saying that's necessarily a, a, something that he's consciously done but I think maybe the 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 size of the the fall maybe makes John Moss think again what what was your take on that one um I think if it's the championship I think he gives it um because he hasn't got the safety blanket of VAR. I think the sequence of events are the challenge happens. He sees how Toffolo goes down and books him because his gut instinct is that it's a dive. But also, as I said, he's got the safety blanket of VAR, hasn't he, to look at it. So he can make a judgment as snap as that and as complete as that and have the opportunity, if he's got it wrong, to do something about it. I think... Which they then didn't do. <laughs> yeah, I, having watched it back so many times at this point I I do think it's a penalty but also I can completely see why it wasn't given on VAR I think it's a combination of exactly what you said and also the fact that the contacts come but he is making Colback is making an effort to pull out of the challenge he's not fully committed ultimately it's not like he's got his foot I think if he's got his foot planted in the ground and they make contact, I think it's a penalty, but I think they're giving him the benefit of the doubt for at least trying to avoid it and then tough selling it like he does. But on the balance of play, I think it's I think it's a penalty. I do think it's a penalty, but I can also, where we differ is, I also get them not giving that one. Um, the, the, this is why I bring up the booking for the, for the dive, though, is... Oh, it wasn't if, a dive. It was no, not a dive. No, but if... if <sighs> If Toffolo, if he doesn't book Toffolo for diving, if he doesn't decide that is a dive, then I think you can maybe make the argument there's not a clear and obvious error there. Mm. But because he's decided it is a dive, and then you see that there is definite contact, that pushes it into the realm of clear and obvious error for me. And I think it's, you know, it's disappointing they didn't get that one, obviously. And I can understand, you know, if that had gone Forrest's way, they, you know, the other way, Forrest would be fuming about that as well. So. Uh, and I don't think town fans could re- would be. I think town fans would be considering themselves lucky, and we know that Forest fans certainly did. Mm. The second one, though, is indefensible. Not giving that one on the VAR is is indefensible. I, I've no idea how that doesn't get given. I thought it was appalling. I thought that there's two points of contact, and the second point of contact, which is the one that takes him down, the ball is a foot and a half away. Um, it's. It's a shocker, and the only thing I can think, and this is, please do not think this is me, me launching any sort of defence of the decision because it's not. It was a penalty, but I this think is you desperately try to find a devil's advocate to play. <laughs> yeah, but it's a bad touch from O'Brien actually, and then he steps across to make sure he gets the contact. That's absolutely fine. That's still a penalty. That's winning a penalty. I have no issue with that whatsoever. The only possible reason I can think is that maybe VIR looked at that and thought, "No, you're not having a penalty for that." But I don't, I don't get it. It was, it was, it was as penalty a penalty as a penalty can be. It was the ball was nowhere near. There's contact twice. It's on the back of the leg. 
Lewis isn't going down before the first contact. He, uh, it, I, I genuinely, I have no words on that one. Really, it was, yeah, absolute shocker. The the first one I get, the second one, like you said, indefensible. Yeah, and look, I know there's a lot of town fans who uh, feel like they were robbed in this final, and. and in many ways, they they were, of course. You know, if they got that penalty and scored it, it's one all. It goes to extra time. I'm not quite having the idea that there's two penalty shouts. Therefore, they've morally won two one. I don't think that's hmm. that's quite how it works. Hmm. But you know, I don't think you can argue that on the bounce of play, Forest deserved to win it. I think a nil nil, in truth, probably would have been about right over the balance of play. But you know that they're going to have to live with it. We know, obviously, everyone was very upset from the from the players to to the fans. Everyone was very upset, and to be honest, absolutely fuming. If you've seen Levi Colwell talking mm-hmm. about those penalty shouts, you, you'll you'll get an idea of that, and rightly so. But as I say, that you know they have to accept it now. They've they've got no other choice. They're going to be in the championship next season. Uh, the players will be off on holiday now. I'm sure. And there's a, a summer's recruitment ahead and they need to get themselves into a position where they can challenge again next season. Yeah, well, this is it. They, they, weirdly, like, and this is a huge leap to make, Steve, so please stay with me. But as somebody who's written extensively about England in the 80s, it does feel a little bit like when they were Diego'd out of the 86 World Cup in that... Yeah, it was a handball, but that was not necessarily the reason they lost that tie. There was lots of reasons they lost that game. They should have bought on John Barnes, etc. earlier. But it gave a nice little hook to pin everything round for the next, basically the next four years. Town need to not do that. They need to sort of draw a line under this and just move on. What they didn't get was a chance to change that game. You know, I'm with you. Just because you get a penalty, it doesn't mean you score it, for one thing. But it would have been a chance to change that game. It's not happened. As you said, it's time now to... It's hard and the injustice hurts. But Town didn't have a shot on target. And they didn't really create an amount of pressure that you could say justified them winning that game. Draw a line under it. Move on. Start again. They've got a fantastic base for next season. A brilliant core to work with and improve. And really, it's time to just almost immediately just focus on that and move on. Let's see how recruitment goes. Let's see where they can add. And yeah, let's let's try and remember, rather than remember two decisions that never happened, let's think about what an incredible season it was last season and what a position it's put them in for the next one. So we've had the, the retained list from the club. They've taken the one-year extensions on Harry Toffolo and Josh Caroma. There's six players leaving. That's Jamal Blackman, Reese Brown, Fraser Campbell, Carolighting, Nabi Sarr and Alex Vallejo. About what we expected, to be honest, isn't it, Dave? No, no real surprises in that list. No, I think Alex Vallejo is a, a brilliant player and he had more to give, but unfortunately his injury record has been such that you wouldn't give him another year at this point. No chance. And... Nabby is Nabby, isn't he? <laughs> um, you know what you're going to get from Nabby Zah, which is... Uh, or rather, you don't know what you're going to get from yeah, Nabby Yeah, which is all the colours of the rainbow, basically, in 90 minutes. Um, so I think the thing with Nabby is I think a lot of town fans would have would have kept Nabby at the club. and I mean, I would have considered it, but the, the reality is, the sort of economic reality is that you're paying 
sort of starting eleven wages for somebody who's predominantly played on the bench this season, and that's all, I think all that decision comes down to potentially. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, I, I believe he's on, as you say, pretty decent money by by town standards, uh, from what I understand. And you know, if they can get, you know, he's been fourth choice centre back this season. They've got. Pearson and Lees are on permanence. Obviously, Levi Cole will 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 be off now. He'll be playing Premier League football one way or the other next year. Uh, so, um, but, but he leaves. I think the nice thing about Saar is he's got he got his farewell, didn't he? Really, I'm yeah, not even talking yeah. about the playoff final. He got he got his moment at the John weeks. Smiths. He was. I think the other thing with Saar is. He's almost he's impossible to dislike, <laughs> just because he's just uh, he's just that sort of character. And last season, you have to remember, he did play more minutes than anybody else in that squad. In a tough season, he was a sort of reliable uh, for a lot of it. There were moments before we won't get into, but I think he just leaves with an awful lot of goodwill. And I think most town fans, certainly most town fans I've spoke to, just hope he goes somewhere where he plays. 35 games next season and everybody loves him yeah that's it I think it's you know if you were going with your heart you'd you'd keep Naby Saar but I think as you say if you're going with your head you, you probably think you know what we can probably get a backup centre-back on on more reasonable wages mm. um and you know they they can they can do that job. Not forgetting as well that they've got Romani Edmonds Green, Romney Critchlow to come back to the club as well. I'm sure they'll they'll get a look over the summer, and who knows what happens in the in the loan market. Uh, Jamal Blackman and Carol Lighting both came in in January. They were only on short term deals. I think both of them will want to go somewhere where they they're playing regularly. So no real surprise there. And obviously Reese Brown, <laughs> looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to which club he goes to 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 find a loan to Peterborough United your, next season. Your reaction there, that that sort of three seconds after you said his name, I think is the perfect <laughs> encapsulation of his time with Huddersfield Town. One appearance, there you go. And uh, Fraser Campbell is the other one we need to talk mm. about. Obviously, he's had three seasons with his hometown club. I'm sure that was a dream for him to come back at this sort of tail end of his career and and have those those years with the in the town that he grew up in. And I think you know, obviously, I know everyone sort of criticises his goal scoring record, but I think particularly the first season and second season he was at the club, the amount of hard work he put in, the amount of hard graft he put in, and even if the goals weren't always there, you know, you always got 100 percent from from Fraser Campbell, and I think everyone appreciates that. And obviously. All the players that that are going, you have to to wish all the best. Yeah, I I think Fraser, me and you, I think were were bigger fans of him than some. Um, and I think weirdly, his absence from the team this season has uh, has meant a lot of fans have been allowed to grow a bit fonder of him um, than they mm. were when he was playing week in week out. It was weird because it wasn't his fault he was playing week in week out, was it? You know, Last Danny season, Ward. No, it was Danny Ward just yeah. had a terrible injury record and so I, I like with Campbell you think oh would it have been worth him I don't know staying around for potentially an influence in the changing room but town have got so much of that now, you know, they've they've got yeah. older heads, they've got the right characters and people in there that again it's it's Fraser Campbell can go somewhere and play football is the thing so why keep him at town where he's not going to yeah exactly and obviously the the news that town fans will 
really like is that Karoma and Toffolo at least have had those extensions triggered. I, I think we can can't count out the idea that that we might get those see those turned into longer term contracts as well. So I wouldn't necessarily take those extensions as you know that's it, that's all they're getting because I think if they can get them done on on longer term deals, I think they would do that. But um, you know it's. As it stands, it is still a bit up in the air, isn't it? Because those talks have been going on for a long time now. They obviously haven't been able to reach an agreement yet. And I think if it does keep dragging on into the summer, they do have a decision to make about whether they look at maybe, you know, whether they sell those players for maybe not not the money that you would necessarily get if they were tied down for three years, but but rather than let them go on a on a free, whether you, you, you consider those offers. Yeah, um, I think they're both... They're both quite interesting cases because Toffolo has, has become a, a sort of standard bearer for the side, hasn't he, and for the club. Um, he's he's great uh, on lots of levels, not just what he's done on the football pitch. So that's that's an important role, really. Um, and I think from, from Toffolo's point of view, we know his best friend in the world is Lewis O'Brien, <laughs> separated, at, uh, you know. They're uh, joined at the hip, aren't they, most of the time when we see them at the club. So he'll be interested in what's happening with, with Lewis's future. Yeah, it's an interesting summer with, with Tuffalo. I really hope he commits to the club because I think he just he, he brings an awful lot. Um, but Josh Caroma is an interesting one because I think next season, the one thing you probably need to see is, is Corbin just change things a little bit because there are a lot of sides like town who have really good championship seasons and then the following season they struggle because the manager doesn't really evolve how they play or change how they play so everybody's then got the cheat codes and I think adjusting it and changing it I think Josh Caroma could be a big part of that and we know what he can do I mean like we were talking about it on Sunday and you were quite right Steve when you said with Josh Caroma you wouldn't rule out him scoring 15-20 goals next season you mm-hmm. know he's, he's that sort of player so I'd I'd really be having a look at Josh Caroma and what you want to do over the next season um, and having a serious think about that one I think there's a few players who a pre-season does wonders for and yeah. and he's top of that list alongside Pippa for me I think the two of them could come back looking like different players once once we get through the other side of the summer if, the, if they're still at the club but um, you mentioned Lewis O'Brien there obviously there's going to be speculation over him we know that he's going to attract interest in the Premier League. He he has done over the the past couple of windows. No one has has yet come in with a bid big enough to to tip Town's hand. But particularly now that all the Premier League clubs have had a year of you know living largely without COVID or at least without the the empty stadiums and without the financial implications of the reduced TV deal, etc. That that someone would come and and match that asking price. We we know from prior experience with. With Lewis last summer and with Philip Billing and Carline Grant before him, that Town won't be underpaid and they'll they'll push. You know they won't let him go unless the structure of the deal is is right for them. Particularly since Lewis signed that new contract last summer. But I think you and I would both be surprised if he was lining up for Disfield Town on the the first day of next season. Yeah, I th- I think to take it back to Toffolo, you look at Toffolo and you think he might go to a different club and he might not be the same player. You know, you have like the Tommy Smith example where he's sort of in the perfect situation and the perfect club to excel. Lewis just isn't that. You know, Lewis, you could dump into, I think, 
at least eight Premier League teams and he makes a difference and he plays well from the start and he certainly gets into every single championship first eleven. He's a class act. I actually thought he was the best player on the pitch on Sunday um, mm-hmm. and he had a very... He had quite a difficult role because Town was sitting so deep and their midfield was so deep, their outlet was basically for Lewis just to break and he was getting kicked off the ball and he just kept going and kept going. Um, and yeah, the the Lewis O'Brien years at Town have been absolutely superb. It's been a, a privilege and a joy to watch really and what a point you made this season and a thing that has always strikes me is... <laughs> You know you've got a player on your hands when you watch them and you think they've had a relatively average game, uh, but the opposition journalists are absolutely raving about them and, and purring over them. And I mean, how many times has that happened, Steve, that we yeah, thought, OK, that's a 6 out of 10 game for Lewis O'Brien, but you realise that a 6 out of 10 game for Lewis O'Brien for us who see him every week is very different perception to everybody mm-hmm. else's. So, yeah, he... he be a huge miss how do you how do you foresee them trying to replace him do you think you replace him with two players do you think you just have to play a different way what what would you do yeah I think this is one of my five conclusions and I I I think this year town have been very very good at being reactive to the opposition and that it's taken them a long way but I think particularly if a Lewis O'Brien were to go who is a very flexible player can turn his hand to any kind of game I think you need to look at how do we get back to Carlos Corbrand's sort of preferred way of playing? How do we look at that platonic ideal of a Carlos Corbrand approach and move towards that? And I think particularly if you get a decent fee for Lewis O'Brien and that allows you to go and spend a bit of money. And I wouldn't expect all of the O'Brien transfer fee to be reinvested because that's just the realities of life in the championship. Every club runs at a loss, including one that's as tightly run as Huddersfield Town. So you do need to, to be... A little bit careful, but if it allows them to go and spend a bit of money on on a player or two, I think you're looking at players that can do... Because you can't replace Lewis O'Brien's skill set, is the thing. He's such an all-rounder and has so much quality uh on and particularly off the ball i just think he's not really it's not realistic to be able to replace him because you know those players will cost the same amount of money as a lewis o'brien would but i think you can get in a different type of player i think one thing they've moved away from this year is having a lot of control of games there's been an awful lot of games where town have had less than 50 percent possession i'm pretty sure if you look at the championship season their their possession rate has been something like 48 or 47 percent something along those lines and we know that from when Carlos first came in that he likes to have a lot of control of games so I think it's it's looking at players that can do that and perhaps players that can offer a bit more in the final third as well because if we have a criticism of Lewis O'Brien it is that he doesn't get enough goals or assists uh for, for a player of his quality so I think if you can look at a different type of player that midfield does need a rebuild now would here's, here's a question then before you mm. go on from there would you potentially look at and I'm just thinking about the makeup of the squad and say Lewis went tomorrow and being realistic about what your options are to replace him would you potentially look at being being able to get into a 4-2-3-1 a bit more easily next season with Hogg and Russell potentially as you two there's not loads of pace and loads of dynamism there so you really need a 10 rather than a another eight if you know what I mean I don't think Carlos particularly likes a 4-2-3-1 and I don't think he likes playing Russell and Hogg together either so 
I don't think necessarily either of those things, but we know that Carlos really liked his 4-3-3 when he first came in. So the, the two formations that he used a lot were 4-3-3 and 3-4-3. And I'm not saying he's necessarily going to go back to, to those two formations because you know we know that he's evolved a lot as a coach his ideas have changed but I think he will have an idea in mind of now that he's got two years of championship experience he's been in a relegation fight he's been in a promotion battle I think he obviously knows the division now and I think he'll have an idea of the way that he would ideally like to play rather than how would how do I play with the players I've currently got and what the transfer market gives you particularly if if a key player like O'Brien were to leave, is it gives you the ability to to move towards that ideal, and I, I expect that they'll try to do that. We know that he likes a, a big midfielder. You know, you look at the, hmm. the players they've signed. You know, your Alex Alejos and your John Russells. I think he likes having that player in there. He likes a he likes a creative playmaker, and above all else, he needs sort of fitness and energy and and running and and defensive ability the willingness to pitch in so you do need a bit of everything but I think Danel Sinani you need to replace his skill set so I think you, you're looking at sort of a more those two eights uh, as it were those two sort of very attack minded box to box eights uh, who who will offer something in the final third basically the player Janino Bakuna should have been <laughs> but but maybe with a bit of size so how about you um, I, I think my worry is that, uh, like Jonathan Hogg is brilliant, but he, you know, like he's got a lot of mileage on the clock at this point, so you can't feasibly expect him to play thirty-five games plus next season. John Russell, like I'm not going to get into this debate with various Huddersfield Town fans again. I am admittedly not as high on him as as a lot of people are, but I see the potential there. And I hope he he goes up another level. But beyond that, they're really... I I don't think, as much as we like him, I don't think Scott High is going to play 35 games next season. So I think they, they, if Lewis goes, they have got quite a tricky recruitment job. And I think they do need, they do need a Carol Iting type, I think, um, who is a bit more mobile than Carol Iting is, um, being polite, um, a bit more dynamic. I think they need. Uh, I, I think they've got to go down the route of if Lewis goes, they've got to replace him with two players. Because you're right, you can't replace his skill set, and you need you need a, a runner for some games who can can press and and push and is willing to break out from defence. But you also need somebody who can sit a little bit deeper and just be a little bit of a, a ratter in some games as well. So I I think you potentially have to look at replacing him with two, and I think. Town, if Town get, I don't know, say, say Town got ten million quid for him, they're not going to go and buy a ten million pound midfielder. That's just not going to happen. But I think they have to spend an amount of money on a first team ready midfielder and maybe somebody else who they can afford to sort of mould and bring on a little bit. But it's, it's, it's a difficult decision. I, I just, I just want to see Town evolve a little bit because, as I said, a lot of teams who've had these sort of seasons where it's, they've had a monumental success like Town have, they just haven't evolved into the second season and the wheels have come off because, like I said, it's the cheat codes thing. People know how to play against them. So I'd like to see... I genuinely maybe would like to see that 4-3-3 come back um, mm. and, uh, and just give 
a, a different give the analysts something else to worry about and give, yeah exactly the opposition analysts yeah i think you know that my, my main takeaway from that playoff final was that the two sides probably gave each other a bit too much respect and i yeah, think going going in going into net you know if they they want their their aim needs to be their thought experiment needs to be if we get to the playoff final next year will we have a team that the opposition will be worrying about us rather than us trying to adapt mm. to them and i think that needs to be sort of the goal um but you know realities might kick in it's easy to say at the start of the window that's what you want but you know if, if your a target gets a 10 million pound offer from somewhere else and your b target you know you do need to you do need to be adaptable in this market but you know we've spoken to lee bromby we know that they've they've prepared for for both divisions and he told us that you know last last year was all about the defensive piece and they really really succeeded in that like they really couldn't have done any better work on on the defensive front and he said the project has always been now coming into this summer to add more quality in attacking positions so i think you know if josh Garoma gets off on the right foot then he's your left wing sorted i think sorba thomas is your right wing sorted but and then you've got danny warden and and Jordan Rhodes up top, but I think they need a younger striker, and I think they need better backup in what, those those wide positions. What's your well. What's your profile of striker then that you would you would bring in realistically? I'm I'm quite torn on this because I think it would be quite nice to have a Steve Mounier type who can be a difference maker and be a, something a bit different. But I think realistic. I think ideally you want someone that can that can do what Danny Ward does, but is a sort of a younger model and can be that longer term successor to him because Wardy's going to turn 32 in the middle of the next season and don't get me wrong we're seeing strikers getting longer and longer careers I think there's a bit of a, a trend a, across Europe at the moment for strikers having sort of second golden periods in their 30s so I'm not saying Danny Ward is over the hill and he's going to be out next season but I think if, if you have the opportunity to get a, a hungry 22 year old 23 year old who who you think you can develop then then go for it because you know Rhodes is is older than Ward even so yeah I, what what would you be looking at uh i i think they i think they need an all-rounder because i don't think i don't think Ward and Rhodes works as a two i don't think Karoma and Ward works as a two and i think having the option of playing with a a proper two up top would be handy in some games i mean Carlos's version of a four four two is basically to have Danny Ward as a striker and then just have a runner who can stretch defence. And I think that's I think that's a valid way to do it. But I also think there are certain games this season where town could have really benefited from having somebody to hold it up and somebody to run off that. Um so I think we and you we've don't talk- ideally want to be playing Silver Thomas in that role, do you? No, no. And like I wouldn't pay the money for Donnell Sonani. Um, so I think they, you've got, or you've also got to sort of look at the fact that Sonani's been half a striker, shall we say, this year. So, yeah, I think it's a difficult one because <laughs> the thing I keep coming back to is something we've said before: is that nobody else in this squad does what Danny Ward does, do they? That's the issue. It is. I mean, we'll talk more about transfers in more depth. We can maybe pick out some potential targets. We might even get some names over the next the next few days. There's one that that has been linked for for quite some time now. Who who it looks like might be on the cards um, in Will Boyle, but uh, who who I expect would be Naby Sar's replacement essentially. Mm. So I, th- I think that's been you know that that's been out there for a long time now. But 
Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a it's a really interesting summer, and hopefully they can they can do as good a job on it this year in those attacking positions as they did in the defensive positions last year. Just one other thing to mention, obviously, is that there's been the update that Dean Hoyle and and Phil Hodgkinson have exchanged their papers on the the takeover. So. By the reports from the Daily Mail, that happened at Wembley on Sunday. And Dean, we, we, it's nothing we didn't expect. This has been in the works for a long time now. And it's good news for the club, I think, isn't it? Because what they need is that stability and someone who knows the club, someone who who knows what it takes to push for promotion in the Premier, in the Championship as well. Yeah, I, I think we've already sort of talked around the fact that it's a very big summer and it's a very important summer um, to get that sorted early doors I think is vital really um, you know the the last thing town need is that dragging on and on so and Dean Hoyle we have both um, witnessed him in the in the um, director's box etc he is extremely invested again in the fortunes of this football club I would say he is um, enjoying it again and and I think he's a good He'll be a good hand on the wheel for the for the short term and and potentially for the long term. Um, but it's it's just a very important summer, really, in terms of the long term ambitions of, of to what Town want to do, really. So to have that box ticked as early as the playoff final <laughs> is is it can only be a good thing, I think. There we go. It's it's not a hundred percent done yet, but I I think nobody's expecting any impediment now, and hopefully no, in the next uh, couple of weeks we'll get that confirmed. The the difference is, I think maybe, and I mean, I I have no idea here, but maybe Dean Hoyle is a little bit more comfortable sort of investing over this summer with it, you know, essentially in the bag, <laughs> and less up in the air, less sort of fogginess around how it's going to happen, and that, as I said, that can only be a good thing. There we go. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, sorry, it's not a celebratory podcast, but. We go again. Dave, do you have anything else to add? Yes, 1989 by H. Sound of the Summer. Get on it. There you go. Uh, I'm trying to think what my top musical tip at the moment is. Uh, Bad Bunny's new album is what I've been listening to. It's really good. There you go. That's my just tip. A, just about to join the Marvel Universe, he is. Is he? Yes. He's, I forget what superhero he's playing, but yeah, he's just been signed up. Oh, he's been living a dream life. He's got his brilliant records he's entering royal rumbles having ridiculous matches at wrestlemania and now he's in the mcu yeah. something for everyone from bad bunny fantastic right we'll see you next time uh i think we'll come back and do a bit of a season review next week dave and and mm. and we've got transfer stuff to look at as well so we're not going anywhere just yet but thank you for listening to us throughout the season nonetheless and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye <laughs>